Ah, sorry. <laughs> uh, chapter one, Atlius. Darkness reigned supreme, but not inert. Within it was something alive, something bloodthirsty, about to reveal itself. Bum, 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 bum. One could not have a clear idea of what it was, but the outlines were visible, forming a distorted, monstrous image of what was there. At last, the creature felt its dark cloak, not slowly, but rather at high speed, advancing furiously into the lit part of the forest. Here, its nature was already much clearer, although I refused to believe I was actually seeing it. In a single bound, the reptile displayed its entire body, including its lethal claws, before nothing else was visible. The lights then came on in the repertory theater of Atlas University, bringing me back to reality. All around me could be heard the loud yawning of those who had fallen asleep during the lecture and who did not care that this became a known fact. As the small bright spots in the corners of my vision faded, so did my dreams. I had been here for a few months, and most of, I, of my initial excitement was gone the very first time we went on an expedition led by the local expert. He was now taking the stage, imagining he was doing a splendid job, <laughs> fixing his gaze on several faces, searching the eyes of these young people for a spark of interest. The speaker, Anthony Lane, went through all the occupied seats, finding nothing after all. In an act of desperation, he typed commands into the computers within his reach on the screens, set up high above his head, visible to everyone in the audience. His lean body moved nimbly between one machine and the next, even though the long gray hair touching his shoulders was out of keeping him the leisurely way he paced the stage. His hands already showing the dried, almost scaly skin of the elderly were slowly deforming with the cruel effect of arthritis. And yet, they were furiously typing on the keyboards in front of him. As he had told me earlier, he highly valued presenting the evidence in a lecture right away, as this prevented the audience from losing interest. <laughs> Following this mantra, his controls now transmitted to the screens of Yale where a stealthy creature could be seen running across a meadow and climbing a nearby tree in seconds. The lighting was so dim and the color so muted that identifying the creature was impossible. Even so, Anthony Lane kept that file as what he called the greatest proof that life forms thought extinct still thrived. At this presentation, some around me held back their laughter and from the seats behind me, I, I heard Tan's voice say, The old man is going senile. I could not understand the reason for such incredulity, even though I did not have the powers that Dr. Lane had to see through the mist of these images and affirm that it was a dinosaur. Perhaps because of the deep appreciation that I felt for the old man, which added to my fascination with prehistory and mystery in general, something we had in common. It was easier for me to have an almost blind faith in his theories. What had then been prepared to be a motivating conclusion to the lecture ended up being this. As one said by a scientist, young people are drawn to dinosaurs because the power of these beings resembles the invincibility they believe their parents possess. This is why I turn to you, the younger generation, 
which has not yet developed prejudices and craves knowledge. I propose an investigation at the places where these animals have been reported to have been seen to finally answer this question. Those of you who have the same dream, come to me and we will realize this dream together. I could imagine the triumphant music playing in his mind, imagining a crowd of followers all thinking as he did. The audience is slowly dispersed, no one even looking at the poor man they had just left at, much less coming on stage to volunteer for the expedition. From behind the drapes then emerged a figure never related to Lane's, Jacob Keane, the man now approaching the center stage, taught biomedical engineer at the university and was extremely popular among the students for the charisma with which he captivated his classes, always eager for the professor's lesson. Add this to his great interest in always making his classes interactive, his clever jokes, and a house big enough to frequently throw pool parties in. And you had a master whose fame Anthony Lane could only aid. This later behavior on King's part had gotten him into trouble in the past, as such parties were somewhat unethical with the dean, Frederick Frost recommending his dismissal several times. The repercussions among the students, however, left the dean's hands tied with protests, acts of vandalism, and even direct threats to his family if the case went forward. He thus enjoyed such security as to be almost untouchable, which pleased him, looking brazenly at the dean and smiling brilliantly when he met him in the corridors. Such protection was threatened only by the chance that some student might discover his secret. Jacob Keane was a loyal follower of Dr. Lane and was unenthusiastic about every discovery as much as I was, or even more so. Our meetings were held secretly in a laboratory away from prying eyes that might reveal to others that the famous Dr. Keane believed that the old weirdo preached. This laboratory, already so short of space because of the large number of specimens in jars or simply thrown around without even a label, was also suffering from my belongings, coming in like a daily tide from the next room, the only thing I could call home. I was quite content with the space that Lane himself had built me when I became a sort of ward to him. I didn't think I would even have that when I left Castlemaine in Ireland. I have always loved working with animals, and in Dr. Lane's words about why young people feel such an attraction to dinosaur, I found myself to be a classic case of such truth, with the caveat that such animals sometimes seem to be more benevolent than my father even could be. I worked in parks and zoos for the sole purpose of learning and having a closer picture to pass on to my painting canvases. I, I remembered all this historical background as I watched the methodical steps King took toward the center of the stage, and the extra chair always left as an invitation for him to come forward at the end of the speech and lend his ears to the whining of the aging scientist. I then moved from my farthest seat and came to the first row, right in front of the stage, to listen to the dialogue that was to follow. The scene before me was frankly comical with Lane sitting hunched over, wearing a full suit to try to impart some respect to his words, disregarding how his locks contrasted with such style. At the other end of the spectrum, Keane sat upright, 
perfectly shaved and combed, which gave him a pleasant image, even if his outfit consisted only of a pair of jeans and the cheapest shirt and shoes he had found. His British culture was probably a factor in shaping such behavioral traits, while I supported my mentor by also allowing my red hair to grow abundantly. Before the usual complaints began, Keane started with his prejudices about young people. You know you'd never catch anything out of those clouds, don't you, Anthony? Don't be so negative, Jacob. Remember that Roy Chapman Andrews was 25 years old when he went on his first scientific expedition to study reptiles. And that was in 1909. This was another generation, one that had not had their minds consumed by electronic devices. After a few seconds of silence, Lane thought of a suitable answer. And since no rule is without its respective exceptions, yours is the victim of one of the cruelest. Half of our team is made up of two excellent young people. With a puzzled expression, King looked down at me and, turning again to Lane, questioned him. Okay, of course. Kevin is going with us, but uh, who else do we intend to take? Come on, kid, you'll see. It's a surprise. I'm afraid it will be quite a surprise for me, too, if everything goes as planned. And Dunning Lane said, laughing. <laughs> At that moment, I stood up and walked towards the laboratory, as I didn't want to sound intrusive in this matter, even though I thought I already knew who Lane's surprise was about. I had often been the listener of his ramblings, and I doubted very much that he could bring her into the research team. But I would love to see him try. In the meantime, all I cared about was making a painting predicting what we might discover on the island. Unfortunately, for, from several previous expeditions, we had obtained little and had not brought back any view, photographs, or organic material of any creature. Still, our expeditions were periodic and always acclaimed by the team, who kept Anthony Lane as a researcher for the university, even though we had no concrete results. Frederick Frost continued to do this out of his great passion for cryptozoology, which also led him to organize the lectures for Lane and jeopardize the graces of those who refused to attend them. But now we saw small signs on his face, traces of frustration that perhaps indicated the end of a lifestyle for Lane himself and me. Thus, we found ourselves on what was perhaps the very last expedition, but also an extremely promising one, the account having been given by a respectful white witness, a certain Mr. Munep, whatever, from the island of New Britain, had called Dr. Lane, claiming to have seen on a nearby island a fearsome animal similar to a turkey, but 11 feet long and with large claws. This seemed absurd to us, but... Munep's culture, this creature called Kayaimuno, was quite real and even feared. The description of the animal, together with the identification of the witness, led us to conclude that the cryptid was indeed a dinosaur, a survivor of the famous KT event, which occurred when a large meteor hit the Gulf of Mexico some 65 million years ago. With such a compelling story, it was easy to get a to get the financial backing of the dean and we would leave in a week. Far beyond the time needed to make preparations, but enough to make it to summer vacation, freeing Jacob Keane from giving any explanations to the students.
Back in my simple room, I imagined this majestic creature. We were about to study up close and left immense gratitude for having found someone like Anthony Lane, who had given me such an opportunity and, above all, treated me like a son. Yes, we were realizing a historical fact. While my master's colleagues preferred to look through a microscope, in my mind I saw every little physical feature that the description led us to imagine. And I wondered what habits our animals would have. How had it managed to adapt to a world so different from its own? I began to sketch on the canvas the erratic traits of what a turkey-like dinosaur might look like. And then I found out I thought about its color pattern. We live in an age of advanced technology when we discovered that various species might have had vibrant colors. Therefore, what patterns should such a survivor have? It did not matter, even if my guesses were not completely right, that painting meant a lot to me and only death by starvation could prevent me from finishing it. If so, the world would see the emergence of a masterpiece, perhaps splattered with the droplets of my last breath. After hours of working, I heard some footsteps creeping along, unmistakably Dr. Lames. Through my peripheral vision, I saw him lean back against the door frame and watch me for a few minutes maintaining the same respectful silence that I had given him earlier. This, by the way, is a gift I often find in scientists and artists, the appreciation for rare moments of stillness. Staring out the car window for hours on end and enhancing one's personality with the simple act of thinking. It was the same gift that now allowed us to dialogue without exchanging a single word. We knew of each other's presence and of the importance of that word for me. And that was enough for us. With one last brush stroke, I finished this extensive work and took a slower breath, stepping back to get a general idea of the paint. I had used all kinds of techniques and my knowledge of dinosaurs, but every time I painted or sculpted one of these animals, I felt frustrated. Noticing my dismayed expression, Lane questioned me. What is it, my boy? Are you not happy with the results of your work? It's not alive, doctor. Do you understand what it is like to wish to see the magnificence of these beings? I understand it damn well. It has been a long time since I have experienced this feeling, but I can assure you that this time things will be different. Then turning to another sketch, that of a large aquatic carnivore with an oar-shaped tail, he concluded, Just don't expect to find predators on the island. The report speaks only of a creature that fed on the camp, but the witness was on a boat, right? What if it is the case that he just didn't see anything else? Come on, Kevin. Heavens forbid it. We are in no condition to face predators. If you would allow me to take a means of protection, I won't. You won't. You know well that I don't allow animals to be killed without a, a valid reason. Our species has only existed for a few thousand years, and what has our progress achieved so far. I tell you, the devastation of the environment and essential species. Still saying this, he walked away to a coffee table and took the phone off the hook. Analyzing the argument he had just used, I remembered other small discussions we had had, or rather occasions when he had raised his voice and I had listened. At the end of each of these times, the words, every living thing is essential, were recited to me with which I agreed, but this should not be the basis for someone not to retaliate against an attack. In any case, the expedition was going to take place and he was now contacting the last member of our team, 
As he was firmly attached to the past, the telephone he now used was a customized retro model with a rotary dial system, as were the classics. The same taste was reflected in the solid wood furniture that surrounded it. The still-functional record player in the background and even the old hand-cracked butter churn. Not even the setting relieved me, however, of the complications of Dr. Lane's logic. How could he blame, for, intense, for instance, a castaway who is attacked by a tiger shark? Even if he didn't do it openly, his reasoning admitted this kind of concept. And what else afterward? Was he going to put the body of a murder person in jail instead of the murderer? As I was thinking about these questions, I heard Lane's voice on the phone, a timid tone, almost ashamed to be calling. Then I remembered a convincing argument. Cases where people had died trying to not to harm an animal, but rather to save it or simply admire its beauty. The doctor's voice had now become deeper and more acidic. He was talking about cryptids, his favorite subject. And yet he was doing so with a certain amount of hatred on this call. I should have remembered such cases beforehand so that I could rebut Lee's statement. But I am afraid that even if I had, my deep respect for anyone with gray hair were preventing me from doing so. Not even the lack of conscience of some species could be counted as a reason, as there were recordings of sharks, rays, and dolphins asking humans for help to free themselves from nets and harpoons. At that moment, my thoughts were interrupted one last time by the loud ringing of the phone back on the hook. Anthony Lane had hung up and was now crying loudly sitting at the table. 